0: Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard.
1: Hello world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. This is a show that champions entrepreneurs, startups, all early stage and in fact all small businesses and it's heard around the world every week. Last week we celebrated our one-year anniversary of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and we're very excited today about commencing our second year. Now this year we'll continue to um, interview the top movers and shakers in the business world, authors who have written the absolute best books, as well as interesting celebrities and sports people last year we broadcast the show from five countries around the world and we'll continue to do the same this year so welcome to our second year we're pleased that you could join us and we hope that we can continue to entertain and provide you with the best possible business advice before we begin I'd like to offer our thoughts and prayers to all those who have been affected by Hurricane Sandy. Now's the time for all of us who have businesses that have not been affected to come to the support of those who have. Let them know that we're thinking of you. Buy their products, use their services, give them financial support and most of all, give them moral support. You don't often hear me say this, but um, governments, all of the governments, the local and the federal governments, the Obama administration have done a fantastic job. So well done to all of you that have participated in minimising the damage from this horrific storm. In general, if your business life's been good to you and you've enjoyed some success, I ask you to embrace entrepreneurship, do whatever you can to mentor new businesses. You can help them by funding them, you can help them by giving them contacts, you can help them by um, giving them advice, there's a whole bunch of ways that you can help new businesses succeed. And don't forget that 70% of the reason that new businesses fail has nothing to do with either money or the project or the project. It is simply lack of business expertise, which those of you who have been in business and are successful have, and that can make a huge difference to the success of these companies. It also can turn out to be a bloody good investment. You put a small amount of money into an early stage business, and it kicks, then you can be rewarded extremely handsomely. Now, I've come across... So many businesses where just a couple of years ago, partners who had been close friends since high school suddenly have a falling out and the company disintegrates. You know, in both business and romance, the early stages are filled with starry eyes, optimism, enthusiasm, and all of that. You think that nothing can ever go wrong. But if it does... You know, you'll face it together through thick or thin, no matter what the trials and tribulations are. Well, forget all that. That's all bullshit. It doesn't work that way. You know, like in romance, falls apart. Usually, it really falls apart. And in business, same thing. Normally, it'll descend into an all-out brawl. Now, one fundamental error that's made by most startups is failing to have all that essential business documents and agreements and all of the things that you need in place right from the beginning, even before you open the doors. It's the first thing to get right. By having the basic partnership or incorporation papers that outline, you know, all the parties' roles and obligations, as well as all of the other agreements that are you know can be specific to your type of business, they're the keys to preventing problems down the road. Have all that spelt out clearly. You know research has shown that companies that use lawyers and have document documentation in place are more likely to succeed than those that don't. In addition to specifying the roles that the founders are going to play and, you know, partnership and incorporation documents, they should lay out a plan for what will happen if there are changes among the company principles, Someone wants to go somewhere else or one wants to leave, or if the business shuts down forever. Just because you shut down isn't the end of your obligations necessarily. So these agreements should be negotiated as early as you can, ideally before you open the doors, but certainly before you accumulate value or debt. Now, startups often, I know I did years ago, you put off engaging a lawyer and drawing up legal documents because the little bit of money you've got, you want to put into sales and marketing and product development. And I understand that. But in a recent survey of a thousand small business owners, 51% of respondents said they avoided seeking legal counsel because of the cost. Even though 25% of those interviewed reported that legal issues were the biggest risk to their companies. And you know, I've found that there's many lawyers will work with entrepreneurs And they'll negotiate payment. Some of them will defer billing. Some of them will take stock in lieu of fees. There are lots of ways to minimise those costs. you just got to go out, talk to some lawyers. And if you detail out your business organisation, you get your non-disclosures in place and all the other agreements that you might need, this will enable you to prepare for a meeting with an attorney. Have all that done so that when you walk into an attorney, you present it to them, you know, you'll cut down the billable hours and reduce your costs remarkably. If your company's product or service hinges on intellectual property, additional agreements with the founders and the employees, you know, you need additional agreements to ensure clear ownership is specified. And it's essential to have a lawyer review intellectual property ownership agreements to prevent disputes among the founders and to protect the business from inadvertently violating somebody else's IP rights. It's also a good idea to list the names of all the company owners on any patent applications. You should also consider holding the IP rights in a limited liability company, an LLC that's owned by the founders, which then licenses it to the operating business, it's structured as a C-corporation. In that way, if there are any challenges to the patents, they would be made against the LLC and keep the C-corp free to operate. So it's, it's essential to separate those two things. It's also smart to include a proprietary information agreement in all your employment contracts. It includes a list of inventions that, each of the employees may have created before joining the company, just so that you spell out really clearly who owns what. All employees and business partners should also sign non-disclosure agreements at the start of your discussions with them. So before you sit down, before you bring people on board, get a not perfect protection, but it is some In fact, you should have NDAs with everyone on your team. They could be very important if the firm faces a threat to its IP. If there's anyone that you're speaking to who hesitates to sign an NDA, you probably should think twice about engaging them. It could be risky. So you need to be strong and demand NDAs, and negotiate buyout clauses from all your business acquaintances, as well as from close friends and family members. I know a lot of instances where people started with their investments from their family and friends, and then when the fight started, the family and friends were no longer family and friends, and all sorts of emotional blackmail came into place. So... It's certainly more difficult emotionally to deal with close friends and family, but the agreements become even more important in those situations. Now, legally, when two people or more than two people start a business, they're considered to have a general partnership and they share equally in the assets, the liabilities and the profits, unless you have a separate agreement that says otherwise. There are several other types of legal structures that set out obligations and liabilities and tax status in more detail. First, there's a legal partnership. Now, this limits the liabilities of the investors. It has two classes of partners, general partners who make up the business decisions and retain the liability, and limited partners who put up most of the money and have limited liability. The partners then pay income taxes on their share of the profits. Now, this, this sort of structure is really common with um, investment companies. Secondly, there is a limited liability company. They're referred to as an LLC. Now, this corporate structure allows the founders to set up an independent entity with limited liability. Now this protects your personal assets in the in the event of a lawsuit or a bankruptcy or something like that. Each owner pays individual income taxes on his or her share of the profits. The third option is a C corporation, and the C corp for the is the, it's the most common type of corporate structure in which the owners form a separate legal entity that has its own risk and it has its own tax obligations. They're not expensive to set up, and they're useful for large organisations or for those that are seeking flexibility in ownership. Finally, there is the S-Corporation. Now, this is pretty similar to a C-Corp, except that the S-Corp sets up a separate company with its own liability, but it passes the tax liability onto the individual investor. Now, this can be a bit difficult uh, for a business that takes on outside financing. Agreements for forming these structures may be customised to account for potential management changes, as well as to lay out management duties and the process for handling disputes. In addition to that, you might consider drafting other agreements such as non-competes, that restricts the ability of a founder or a key employee that leaves the company and sets up in competition or works for a competitor. A non-disclosure agreement, which may help you protect intellectual property and power of attorney, which can give the other partners the ability to handle business decisions in case you become incapacitated or someone else becomes incapacitated. Could also have an arbitration agreement in which the parties agree to send any disputes to an arbitration panel except of resort, except instead of resorting to um, litigation. I've got two minds about that. So while this might seem like a lot of legal work, it will not cost you a great deal of money and could be in the difference between protecting the company, its IP, the founders, you, and the employees, and stop you from being dragged into a host of legal problems sometime later on. It is important to invest in good legal advice early to protect your business as you move forward. So don't forget, this program is all about you, the entrepreneur, or the small business person that's listening to this show, looking for tips on how to be more successful. That is what we are here for. That's what we've done for the last 12 months, and that's what we'll do for the next 12 months. The whole show is dedicated to assisting entrepreneurs. So if you have a topic that you would like us to discuss or an email with a specific question that you'd like answered, please don't hesitate. Try that again. Please don't hesitate to send me an email, and we'll answer it on air, or we'll email you directly. So guests, if you've got a guest that you'd like on air, or you can recommend a guest that you think would be interested to a wide listening audience, please drop me an email, just bob at bobpritchard.com. So I'm Bob Pritchard, and I will talk to my first guest, Scott McCain, who teaches business how to deliver the ultimate customer experience. I've seen this guy speak, and he is dynamite. Now, Scott's recognized by Social Media Marketing Magazine as one of the 50 most influential marketing authors on Twitter, and I'll be speaking to him right after this short break. When it
0: comes to business, you'll find the experts here voice america business network do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at
1: bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. This is the segment where we uh, give you an insight into the lives of some of the world's extraordinary and successful people and what makes them tick. Most extraordinary people that I've ever met began life as average, ordinary people, just like most of us. So what makes them unusual and great? Well, this is the segment where we find out. My guest today I've reached in Indianapolis is Scott McCain, who teaches businesses how to deliver the ultimate customer experience. Scott's one of about 150 living members of the Professional Speakers Hall of Fame. And trust me, as somebody who goes out speaking regularly, that is one hell of a feat. He's also recognised by Social Media Marketing Magazine as one of the 50 most influential marketing authors on Twitter and Glenn Juice. Scott was also chosen by Arnold Schwarzenegger to be the MC and speaker for the Great American Workout, held on the White House lawn with the President and carried live on CNN and NBC's Today show. He's the author of Collapse and Distinction, How to Create Differentiation in the Marketplace, which took the number one spot on Amazon's list of business bestsellers. Now, I often talk about how to differentiate yourself, and but Scott takes it to the next level. Hi, Scott. Welcome to the show.
2: Well, it's great to be with you. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate it, and uh, I'm, I'm just honored you would have me. Thank you very much for letting me have the opportunity to talk with you today.
1: Thank you. Firstly, is to be distinctive the same as differentiation? And if so, does distinction simply involve doing a lot of things extraordinarily well?
2: Well, the latter part is certainly correct. Uh, Distinction involves doing uh, a number of things certainly well. One of the things we found as I was looking and doing the research for the book was that uh, distinctive companies tend to tend though uh, it's not that they throw the baby out with the bathwater start over and say we're going to be distinctive it's that they find one or two particular areas that they flip upside down let, let me give you a quick example uh... enterprise rental car uh, the, the rental car that you get from enterprise is the same that you would get from hertz or Avis or any of their other competitions so there's no product uh, differentiation available in that business but enterprise had had one solitary idea Instead of making the customer come to us to get the car, we will take the car to them. And and by changing that one aspect, how, how the customer accesses the product... They've, they've created the largest rental car company in the world. Um, so what we find with these organizations is that it's not necessarily that they, you know, do A to Z differently, but they can at least find one or two things that they absolutely turn upside down. But what I, what I see is that if, if we were thinking of, let's say, laptop computers, right. we, we could see a pyramid. At the bottom would be those organizations that are the same. Acer, Asus, uh, Gateway, uh, Fujitsu, and it's not that they make a bad product. All of those make a, you know a wonderful product. It's just that I can't tell you why you should buy an Acer instead of an Asus. So that it's all the same. Sure. Sony, Dell, HP, others have differentiated themselves. Sony, for example, uh, with the Violine line and, and and other organ, you know, uh, uh, yep. HP with the printers and peripherals. Dell made the order. So they have something about them that differentiates them. But I think that we would all tend to agree that Apple has become distinctive over the last few years. That Apple is what, what our buddy Joe Callaway calls the category of one. They have risen to a point that there's true distinction in the marketplace as opposed to merely making themselves different. And so what we find is that differentiation, or at least in the terminology that I'm using in the book, differentiation is critically important it's something that every organization Absolutely. must do but but what what could happen to us if we even went beyond that what one of the phrases I'm using now it's what happens when great isn't good enough yeah. <laughs> you know, how do you go beyond that and, and even take it to a higher level and it fascinates me that, that there are some organizations that do create that that area of distinction that area where they stand out more than than, than anything and and they also seem to be able to weather uh, volatile uh, economic times better than than other organizations as well. So it's it's a critical aspect. That's a great place to be.
1: Because you're not buying on price, you're buying on something else. That, and you know, um, once you stop differentiating, you start um, selling on price. It's the kiss of death.
2: Oh, absolutely, and you—you you hit the nail on the head because I, I, I'm sure you have the same thing. People say, "Well, they're loyal to us." No, they're not. They're loyal to price. Right? Yeah. I mean, if if price is the differentiating factor, then as you you know as as you talk about, then all you have to do is to lower your price, you get the business. Yeah, exactly. But it's not your customers loyal to you; they're loyal to the price. And so, what we've got to do is to find something else. And, and and that's where what you talk about, and and, and what I talk about. And it, it's so important for organizations and for individual professionals to understand that uh, if you keep bringing the same old thing to the marketplace, then, then you haven't given your customer a reason to choose you.
1: Yeah. Well, now, we hear a great deal about shameless self-promotion. I often think that that's what I do. <laughs> does that help build <laughs>
2: distinction? Well, I, yeah, I, I, it certainly does, but, but when when you do it, and when others people who do it and do it right, as as you do, uh, there's a congruency there that I think the customer is looking for. There's so much clutter in the marketplace, but part of that is because there are shameless self promoters that can't back up the promotion with with actual content or results or quality of product and service. And so I think that's sometimes where it gets uh, you know where, where, where people might shy away from that is because they're shamelessly self promoting. A shell <laughs> nothing and and obviously that's not what you're doing it's not what I'm trying to do out there in the marketplace but I, I, I think that's one of the things that distinctive organizations do is not only do they shamelessly self promote but they shamelessly over serve their customer they shamelessly create uh, extraordinary products and services and so there's a congruency there between the promotion and the practice that 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 really drives the distinction in the marketplace
1: yeah so should a business be concerned with meeting the standards for the industry that that they're in? Well,
2: the, I've always viewed the industry standard I being the average, right? I mean if yeah. someone says, Well, this is it's the industry standard, that's that's the average and, the and, uh, and uh, average. average. Yeah, exactly exactly right. And as a mentor of mine once said, Well, you know, average is either the bottom of the top or the top of the bottom. <laughs> you know, yeah. Where you want to be and and distinctive organizations aren't concerned about the industry average or the industry standard because their practice is you know, to, to be distinctive, to exceed it, that they they set their own benchmarks. And what happens is the competitor in the marketplace is usually trying to catch up to them.
1: Yeah, I, I saw a, an article um, about from Harvard saying that uh, they looked at 51 categories of of um, products and services, and they found 46 of them um, to be what they would consider um, commoditized. So mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. couldn't see the difference between one and the other. In fact, a survey showed 92% of people saw like products as totally interchangeable. If I don't buy wow. this, I'll buy this, and it doesn't make any difference because they're about the same, and that mm-hmm. Make, mm-hmm. It makes it really hard to market your product when you're in that sort of position.
2: Oh, exactly. But, you know, what's fascinating to me is that commoditization uh, I, I, it is as much the attitude of the organization and the people within that organization as it is the industry. Um, if, if, you know, if we That's accept that, that people drink coffee in the morning, right, they've been doing it for centuries and have uh, been doing it all over the world, Starbucks comes along and differentiates coffee, yeah. uh you know, if, if Starbucks would have said well coffee's a commodity it would it would never have risen to the global success that it has uh you know, it's it just fascinating to me if you look at you know. I mean, you can get water for free out of a fountain. <laughs> but yeah. when, when when you and I travel the world, we see people buying bottles of Evian uh, and and others. You know, everywhere, and so uh, water is a commodity. <laughs> you know, and so the, the yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I can It's water. You will know? yeah. <laughs> we'll, We will. We will. And money to, to and, and we even have our favorite waters. There's some that prefer <laughs> Evian. There's there, there some that prefer others, and, and so it it, it Commodity. I, I I believe that commoditization exists. It obviously exists, but I think it's it's not just an industry that becomes commoditized. I think it's it's also the you know the mindset of. Uh, the people within an organization about whether or not they're going to accept that for themselves. Because you can differentiate coffee, if you differentiate water, you know, uh, uh, MasterCard and Visa differentiate currency. Uh, you, you know, you'll pay a higher interest rate for the convenience even though the, you know, the dollar is the same, uh, from, from one to another. And so we can find ways to, to create compelling differentiation and become distinctive in our markets even if we're dealing in an in a, in a industry that has been long thought to be commoditized.
1: I think it's interesting. I, I talk to clients and talk on the show about um, most people think the business that they're in is what they're selling, where usually it's quite different. In fact, I hardly yeah. ever see an instance where what the people are selling is the business that they're really in. And I thought of that because when you were mentioning Starbucks and differentiating coffee um, – Starbucks really don't sell coffee at all, do they? No. They, I mean, coffee's a buy product. So
2: you have to
1: get a yeah, cup when yeah, you walk yeah. in, but that's about as close as it
2: gets. Well, yeah. Well, you know, I, I started, uh, not about this this book, but the one before that, I, I started it talking about sitting there writing the book, and, and that was kind of the blinding flash. The obvious was I was sitting there in Starbucks, so why did I walk in that store for a cup of coffee? Well, yeah, I guess that's the product. I mean, that's what the exchange of money was for, was to buy that coffee, but, I, you know, I was also buying, a, you know, a, an experience, a place to sit. Uh, you know internet free connection, Wi-Fi. All of,
1: Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right. It's,
2: it's a free Wi-Fi, free, you know, and, and so you sit there and you have the free Wi-Fi and, and usually it's, it, many of them are at a place where you can even sit outside if the weather's good. You know, those kinds of things that uh, I, I it, it got some work done. So what was I paying them for? Well, technically, I paid them for the coffee. but Really, the reason I was there was was all that and so much more. And so that's part of what I, I think that you know, we buy the water, but in part it's the convenience of that plastic bottle and the ability to handle it and it fits right in the, the cup and the car and all those kinds of things. But also, you know, there's a little, I don't know, some people I know but there's some people, uh, you know, they feel a little prestigious drinking Evian water as opposed to Perrier, as opposed to, you know, just... just get yeah. that out of the tab. I, I don't know. I mean, it's funny what people will pay for and what people will differentiate all over the world in it. <laughs> but, I but
1: think it, it but proves that you true. can fool most of the people most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> I can't um, argue with that logic, but you're right on <laughs> In my view, you know, the key to success is hard work, hard work, and more hard work. I, I think, irrespective of what you do, if you work hard enough, um, eventually... You'll succeed to what degree. depends on a whole bunch of other things, but you'll succeed. Now, we all know that hard work's important, but how much does luck figure into business success? I've always discounted it. What, what's your view?
2: Well, there's the old line. I mean, in, in my country, Abraham Lincoln is, is uh, quoted as saying it, but if, if you really take it back, it, it goes to Seneca. Uh, in, in ancient times, and, and that is that luck is when opportunity, opportunity meets preparedness. Yeah. And I, I think it goes back exactly to what you're saying. It's, it's that if, if we work hard enough, that hard work becomes the preparation. So when the opportunity arises, we are prepared to meet it. Yeah. Um, in, in every industry, and I'm sure you see the same thing. I mean, you, in every industry that I work in, and, I, I will meet people who are presented an opportunity, and and they just knock it out of the park, and it, and it's because they worked so hard for so long that when the they are so prepared that when the opportunity comes, they can take great advantage of it. And then the funny thing is, those people who aren't prepared, then look at that individual and say, "Wow, isn't he lucky?
1: Absolutely,
2: <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but he's fortunate, perhaps, that an opportunity came along, but." But to call it mere luck, I mean, luck to me suggests random chance. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's going to Las Vegas or it's going to a casino and it's the numbers come up right. That's sheer yeah. luck. Yeah. But but in terms of business, what we ascribe to luck many times, uh, I, to me, it, it might be, you know, we're fortunate. I think any of us that attain any degree of success should be respectful and, and, and appreciative and humbled by that. But uh, to merely call it luck or merely, merely call it chance, uh, I, I think that's ridiculous. And as, as you point out, too, it, it's it, the people who have achieved it and achieved it through that hard work realize it's not
1: about luck. Yes, I, I think if, um, if you get one sale in every 10 doors you knock on and you knock on one door, your chances of getting lucky... Is very slim, but if you if your chance is one in ten and you're on a hundred doors, you're probably going to get ten sales. So it yeah, is yeah, about putting in the odds.
2: And, and it's also the drive then to go. Well, if I'm getting one out of ten, I better knock on twenty doors today, exactly. or, or thirty doors today. But you know, if, if I want to increase my sales a hundred percent, then then I need to knock on this many more doors. And, and success leaves clues. I mean, it, it, it in so many ways. I mean, people don't want. to, People don't want to understand this, but it's uh, in it, it, so many ways it's a numbers game. Yeah. And by that I mean, um, well, I'll, I'll give you an example. I, I gave a thousand free speeches that I've documented, right. a thousand free speeches before I got paid for any. Right. And then people will go, gosh, you're so lucky to have a good career as a, as a speaker. Uh, <laughs> don't get me wrong, I am very fortunate. I'm the, I, I consider myself to be one of those. Most fortunate people, because folks like you and I get to do something that we really love. I mean, that's and and that's a true blessing. But I, I've said all along, if, if, if people will come up and say, will you help me build my business," and I said, "Sure, first just go out and do half of what I did. Go out and do 500 free speeches, and 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 we'll go from there." And over 30 years, not one person. Has ever done the five hundred free speeches?
1: Sure, it's a lot of work. I got to tell you. Um, we're, yeah, right. We're just um, we're just about out of time, but very quickly, um, collapse of distinction. You talk about four cornerstones of distinction. What are they, Scott?
2: Real quickly, cornerstone number one is clarity. You you, you can't differentiate in the marketplace. What you can't define as an advantage. Yeah, and and. I think that's part of what happens is we go out in the marketplace and we try to be all things to all people, or the market gets a little tough, so we start doing things outside of what our mission is, and and so it's being very clear about what we stand for in the market, which also means we're clear about what we don't do and what we won't do, and we put our flag in the ground and say this this is where we are. Second thing is creativity; it's then taking that clarity and doing something unique, as as I mentioned earlier with the enterprise rental, for example, or yep. or finding a way to do something unique and different. Third is Communication, uh, in seeing distinctive organizations and distinctive professionals found out more than others they used stories as the way that they communicated. They used the narrative. Yes, they delivered facts and figures, but they did it through a compelling, exciting, engaging story. And the fourth is a customer experience focus. Distinctive organizations not only focused on customers and serving customers, they focused on what did it feel like to be your customer? What kind of experiences? What, you know, what, 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 what was the uh, emotion that you were engaging with customers? You only become loyal to those things that you have feeling toward. Yeah, right? I if I don't feel anything about you, then I'm not going to be loyal to you. So, so, but what we haven't done enough in business, it seems like any place in the world, is, is to really look at what are the emotional connections that we're establishing with customers, how do we drive those so that they're deeper connections? What do we do to make them long-lasting? So distinctive organizations and distinctive professionals tended to do those particular cornerstones in that particular order.
1: Scott, fantastic to speak to you. I've really enjoyed it. I hope that we meet around the circuit someday. You know, I sound like oh, an Aussie, so but I've, I've lived in California for 25 years. Um, yes, yes. But I still sound like an Aussie. <laughs> so if you'd like <laughs> well, to find no, 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 out... Even more Are about you Scott. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Man. Um, so if you'd like to find out more about Scott, go to his website, scottmccain.com. That's S-C-O-T-T-M-C-K-A-I-N dot com. And don't forget his book, Collapse of Distinction. I guess uh, go to Amazon dot com. And I'll be back for the last segment of the show after this short break.
0: voice america business network the bottom line in business do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking No Bullshit Radio Show. I really appreciate you being with me tonight. This segment is about the business of show business. What happens behind the scenes, how it works, not the crap that you read in the tabloids and when I talk about show business I mean it in the really the broadest form. We've had actors, singers, theme park attraction builders, gold medalists and tonight we're fortunate to have Rob Dickens, one of the heavyweights of the world music recording industry with us. Rob was managing director of Warner Brothers Music Publishing, then appointed international vice president when he personally signed up Vangelis, the Sex Pistols among others. He later became the chairman of Warner Music UK and made the company hugely profitable with artists such as Prince, Foreigner, ZZ Top and Madonna driving the profits. Rob brought Seal, Simply Red and Scher to the label. He also constructed Cher's song Believe with six writers that didn't meet each other until they picked up all their awards and worked with Rod Stewart. He works extensively with the arts and was honoured by the Queen with a CBE, and in 2003 was named Man of the Year, receiving the Music Industry Trust Award. Now I've caught Robert 11 o'clock at night in London, after a big night out, and he's in the music industry, and he's sober. Now that's a, that's quite a um, quite a claim to fame. Hi Rob, how
3: are you? Hi, I'm I'm sober. That's all you need to know.
1: That is fantastic. Um, in the last 15 years, and I don't I don't quite, I, I had several singles back in the 60s, it gives you an idea of how old I am, and uh, we used to record them and then run them around the radio stations and beg and plead and bribe to get them played. But in the last 15 years, um, everything's changed, hasn't it? It's been turned on its head. So, And as I understand it, the, the days of producing an album and running around all the stations and doing all that, that seems to be over. Um, is the focus now totally on singles and the internet, or is that too simple?
3: I think that's I think that's much too simple. I think that the the running around radio stations and more these days television stations is still the key to breaking an artist and to making the big sales. We now live in an environment where there are a million ways to get your music heard. But when uh, when I was growing up in the business, there were very few. Um, So now, if if you're creating music, you do not have to go to a record company to get a record deal. You can actually put your music out there. The only trouble with doing that, of course, is so are a million other people at the same time. So you have so many more access points now than you ever had, but still the radio, the television, the record company are acting as filters. So you've got more music now than ever before, but the filters are still as dominant as ever, and that is the
1: traditional means that we all grew up with. So do, does radio play actually matter anymore? I mean, I, I sit in my car and I listen to um, satellite radio. Now I never listen to regular terrestrial radio, and I don't, I don't know anybody that does. So, And most people seem to be sitting there glued to their iPod or whatever they're glued to. So does actual radio matter that much anymore?
3: Well, Radio matters in the fact that when it broadcasts four minutes of music, yep. it's heard about a lot a lot of people at the same time. Right. So radio audiences are as big as they ever were. Um, again, we have more ways of listening to music and having, you know, making your own compilations, making your own. But all you're really doing there is repeating your own playlist. So you're really sort of on a downward spiral of discovery. By starting with the uh, with a world that you already know, and then listening to that time and time again, so the actual point of listening to radio or going online to discover music um, is still incredibly important because people, as much as they're very happy listening to music they either grew up with or they're familiar with or they're comfortable with, there's still the cutting edge still makes a hell of a lot of difference, and that really is about new discovery. A new discovery comes from radio and the internet now.
1: So is it, is it about, is the important thing about radio, say, over, over the internet or MTV, is it the most important thing that it, that you get a lot of people hearing it at the same time, so that gives impetus to the sale, so... That
3: exactly. That it's it's it syn- the syn- synchronicity of a hundred thousand people hearing one piece of music at the same time, and maybe two thousand people going out and buying it as a result that you can't get with the internet because you don't know who else is listening to it at the same time. So so radio, whether it's broadcast or it's internet radio, um, such as Last FM or Pandora or any of the new kind of um, discovery music stations, yeah. is still incredibly important.
1: So is this given a big advantage to the uh, smaller record labels or the independent record labels, or are the big record labels just as important as they always were?
3: Well, the big record labels... Um, have the connections with radio and television. Yeah. They also have, not that anyone at radio and television would agree, would, would agree to this, <laughs> but, but in effect, if you've got the biggest act in the world yeah. um, and you're talking to a TV station about a new act, they want access to your big acts. Sure. So they're not, they're not going to upset you by not listening. They're not going to just play it because you want them to play it, yeah. but they will give special treatment in the way they listen to your new acts, because they right. they still want access to your big acts. Now that works whether you're a, a small label or a big label if yeah, you've got sure. big acts. But the the big big labels have the bigger acts and have more of them. Mm. Therefore, when it comes to television, and radio, it's an advantage, and it comes to money, it's an advantage in terms of marketing, promotion, all the other things you can do. So the big record yeah. labels. And not yet dinosaurs as if they're, that they are being written off as they, they are still incredibly powerful um, machines to make talent to turn talent into success but whereas they used to be those in the medium and and independence whereas they used to be the only way of it happening they now um, are, are a major part but not all of it so the, the, the landscape's changed in that effect
1: yeah you do hear about the the imminent death of the of the labels. Um, so,
3: uh, Well, the imminent death of the labels is because they just keep eating each other. When <laughs> I started the music business, you know, there was Island Records and Virgin Records and RCA and CBS and Warners and Electron. And, you know, they, all these things existed as separate entities. Yeah. And now, of course, there are three. Right. So the, the way they're, they're reducing themselves is just like, you know, cannibalism. It's not... It's, it's not really by erosion.
1: So this big change that um, has happened in the way we market um, market our music, who's that disadvantaged the most? The record companies, the music publishers, the artists or the public? or who, Who's really been disadvantaged by this?
3: Well, I think the entire business is disadvantaged by the fact there is so much illegal consumption of music. Yep. I mean, it's, re- it's reckoned to be in excess of 75% of music is consumed Um it's outside of people paying for it. Wow. Um, so, there, but that's always existed in physical form as well, with piracy and CD and, and cassette piracy. Um, so, it's the entire, everyone that participates from the artists to the record companies suffer from that, and that is a product of technology. Techno- technology has allowed access to music, but it's also access to have music for free.
1: Is that is that a um, you know people people here particularly in the US are always saying if everybody paid half as much tax everybody would stick their hand up and own up and pay all the tax that you that you on tax money you would earn which I think is a bunch of crap because I think if people are going to cheat in their taxes they're going to cheat no matter what the level of tax is however is that the same with music I mean do people say well bloody why am I going to pay a buck 50 for a song um why don't and I, I just can get it for free it? yeah well or if it was 50 cents would they buy it and not run the risk of doing it illegally
3: I have a feeling I don't think there's any risk of doing it illegally really I mean I don't think people sit there it's it's a bit like driving at for sort of the 35 and a 30 mile limit I don't think people yeah. think they're breaking the law when they do it so yeah. um they know they are but I don't think they feel the risk of it would they do I I I'm a big believer um uh, and probably in the minority, is that I do think it matters. Yeah. I think when when the potential consumption of music is in the hundreds of millions, if not yeah. billions, and yeah. uh, what we, we can see from the downloads of a Lady Gaga or a or Adele videos, that yeah. there are hundreds of millions of people consuming music. Yeah. I think, and if you're thinking that 75% of them are not paying for it. I have a feeling that if the price came down to a significant level, which it is doing by erosion, but I think if it was a decision made, that if you put music out online at a very, very affordable price, then I think a lot of people would go, I'm very happy with paying this small amount for it. And I think you'd get a huge increase in small amounts that would be far in excess of what you get from today. But what's happening is it's happening by erosion, whereas people used to buy an album for, you know, 10, 15 bucks, um, and now they're, they're picking two or three tracks. Right. So so to get the, what their enjoyment of an album, they're probably paying $3. Yeah. So yeah. it's already gone down dramatically, but it's seen as the consumer doing that and not as the record industry or the music industry doing that. So I've, I have a feeling that it will get to a, uh, an amount, whether it's through subscription models or other ways of happening, that that uh, streaming is, you know, obviously the new one, um, where pay, paying for play will be minute but enormous numbers. Right. And I think that's that's what the future is going to be, um, and it will probably be through something like Facebook. I think Facebook, you know, could end up being the most important music network wow. because it's already got so many people on it yeah, seven hundred million. Also. so if you can go on it and, and get music and then there's a payment structure worked out within something like that uh, there's a lot of thought that needs to go into where it goes to next because always a lot of the music industry stick to the old models if we're living in the CD explosion of the late 80s yeah, um, and they're still trying to have that business model to go forward and that business model has been shattered yeah. but they're still clinging on to it And there's a lot of backward thinking in the music industry where, and a lot of forward thinking in the technology industries, in the Googles, the Facebooks, that's thinking about the future and the record industry is still trying to hold on to getting the 15 bucks for the CD. And I also, I also believe that they're missing a trick because, um, for the fan who wants the physical product and doesn't want to just have a name on a playlist, then there's a way of getting like a high cost at the moment, the CD is in a flimsy jewel box that falls apart, with yep. lyrics you can't read because they're printed so small. Yeah. Um, particularly when you get to our age. Well, um, that's right. And 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 a fan wants more. A fan wants something limited edition. They want, and we've seen this with Nine Inch Nails and um, bands who actually give their fan base something special that the fan base pays a lot of money for it, yep. way more than the 10, 15 bucks of the old days you're getting something you should be able to get something physically special for a high amount and then something that is just a digital file for a lower amount that's my thought process.
1: yeah no i agree with that so are music publishers and the record labels still as important in the industry or is self you know recording in your kitchen with an apple i'm, I'm, I'm thinking back to the last album by um uh the la- i can't think of a name but the lady out of canada uh Phenomenal singer who, who yeah, Morris yeah who recorded the whole thing the whole album in a in a kitchen on an apple and it was just brilliant <laughs> that,
3: that, well there is that is the fact that you can technology has changed it was you know it was about a hundred thousand dollars to make a record a, a sort of fairly basic recording yeah um and now you can do it for nothing yeah so that has changed the ability to make music
1: so the record companies love it right
3: now the record companies still have to pay, you know, they basically pay an artist in advance, in advances, they pay them what they think they're going to earn. If they think they're going to earn a million dollars, then perhaps they're paying a million dollars. The album may cost a million dollars to make, it may cost five dollars to make. Yeah. But that's, the record companies are not getting off any lighter because the cost of making music has gone down. What the artist has got is the ability to make records without a record company saying or a music publisher saying we're going to give you the chance so the chance has occurred so for creativity it's fantastic right. and and for the record company it doesn't make much difference in terms of their um their profit and cash base
1: rob unfortunately we've just about run out of time so thanks very very much for being on the show particularly at the end of a long night i know it's about midnight so you- probably dying to get to bed um I've i'm in the business i don't get a bit of it now <laughs> you sit up and drink coke and and <laughs> eat chips <laughs> well it's bob pritchard and i'll be right back after this short break with answers to your emails
0: You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Business show. We're coming to you this week from my hometown of Los Angeles. After broadcasting last week from Washington, D.C. and from Basel in Switzerland the week before that. So this truly is a global show. this is a segment where I answer your emails, and because we get emails from all over the world, each week I try to answer at least one email from outside the United States, and this segment is so popular, I think, because answers to the questions that you ask apply equally to small businesses and large businesses, and it doesn't matter where they are in the world or what sort of business they're in. So um, this is really good advice for a lot of people. First email is from Jonathan Cassidy from Providence in Rhode Island, who would have taken a hammering last night, I guess. Um, Jonathan writes, Dear Bob, thank you for a great show. I have a small business where the majority of my customers after lunch and after dinner, so I late I start late and work late, so I listen to your show in the hour before I leave work. After the show, I then make notes about what I plan to do tomorrow. Keep it up. I love it. Bob, you often talk about blogs. Why do I need a blog? Well, Jonathan, um, developing a business blog might not seem like the best use of your time if you're busy and you're staying there till late anyway, but there are several reasons why having a blog makes a huge amount of sense. For starters, it keeps your site f- fresh and up-to-date and forces you to think and to to um, be creative, and it can boost your search engine rating as well. Moreover, it can establish you as an expert, which when people start to think about your product or service, because you're an expert, it makes people think about you first. And more importantly, because you're an expert or seen as an expert, people feel a lot more confident about buying off you. Now, You can promote your blog on social media, which can get it shared, and you can really generate a huge amount of interest in what you have to say. You should also include social media buttons on the blog to make it more shareable. If it's insightful enough, people will bookmark your blog and revisit it just to see what the hell you're talking about. So it's really helpful to allow people to comment on your blog. I often get very helpful feedback to my blogs. I also copper hypercriticism <laughs> Yeah. So be prepared for not everybody agreeing with you. Now, if you're too busy to do the blog yourself, get one of your employees to do it and just supervise it. It'll help their professional development, make them think outside the box. Um, they'll appreciate you more and it'll give your business a kick along at the same time. Jonathan, thanks for your email. We'll send you out a copy of my new book, kick Business and Marketing Secrets, How to Blitz Your Competition, which is available at all good bookstores and at Amazon. I'm confident you'll find it full of valuable information that will really help your business. Second email today, which we might have to rush through, is from Nicholas Rennes from County Cork in Ireland, who writes, Dear Bob, I listen to your show whenever I can. The problem is that it's broadcast here at one AM on Wednesday morning. I also have not been able to find your book in the bookstores here. So my question is this, I'm a small business, I'm not very technically savvy, and I still use simple techniques such as business card drawers. What do you suggest I do? Well, thanks, Nicholas. Firstly, you don't have to listen to the show live at 1am. You can go onto to Voice America Business, go to my archives, and listen to any of the shows from the last 12 months. Secondly, kick-ups available in Ireland, but maybe not in your area. I'll send you out an autographed copy tomorrow, so you'll not only have the book, but you'll save yourself about 25 bucks. Okay, let's talk about your business card draw. You can get great results from holding them at events like Chambers of Commerce and award a prize, or you can spread them around town at restaurants, draw them once a month, and the people get a free meal at the restaurant as a prize. This can be really inexpensive as you pay part of the cost, the restaurant pays part, and you both get copies of the business cards. And business card drawers provide several key pieces of information that can be used in executing many you know future promotions, anything you're going to do in the future. So Nicholas, having said that, I strongly recommend no matter how much of a technology dinosaur you are, that you should go to the free classes at Apple if you're an Apple user or find some other way to learn all you can about what you can achieve with technology today. It will pay huge dividends. Well, Election day is only seven days away, and, from, and though most of us have made up our minds, who are we going to vote for? You know, it's a pretty tough call this year, and I've been thinking about it carefully. For any of you who um, have not yet made up your mind and give a damn about what I might think, I'm endorsing a second term for President Obama. I think he inherited a financial mess, the likes of which we've never seen before, and he's been a pretty steady hand at the helm. Could he have done more? I think he could but we need to remember that he faced a pretty obnoxious obstructionist opposition. But I think he did enough to get re-elected. Added to this, I'm not sure which Mitt Romney is going to arrive in the moving van at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. The Tea Party financial extremist supporter um, throughout the primaries, who philosophy I think will plunge the country into financial crisis, or the moderate who suddenly emerged in the first presidential debate. I'm also deeply concerned about social policies, which will uh, further distance us from the rest of the world and set women back 30 to 50 years. So I'm recommending a vote for Barack Obama next Tuesday. So until the the same time next week, have a fantastic, successful time. Let's kick some butt and let's help all the people that were affected by Hurricane Sandy. This is Bob Pritchard. I'll be with you next week.